Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Sporting Voices podcast with me, Steve Hoare, the show where I interview various people from the world of sports media. And I'm delighted to say that joining me on today's show, I've got Rory Hamilton. Uh, thanks for joining me, Rory. I appreciate giving up your time. No, thanks a lot. It's, uh, it's good, good to be on. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Yeah. As I say, anyone who probably heard your voice just then recognises your voice. Um, from commentating and presenting mainly on Scottish football, but also you're now doing rugby union as well, Rory. But am I right in saying that you, your first media roles, you started behind the mic, so you were more in the production side of things, is that correct? Yeah, that's true. Like, um, sort of straight out of university, I did a sort of very junior uh, assistant producer um, role at Scottish Television, uh, just on a... Um, on a sports program, they did they did the sort of Scottish football highlights for uh, Premier League and First Division, and I used to just uh, I went in actually I, when I was at uni in my my final years there, I used to go in on the weekends and just um, like upload their manager interviews onto their website and things, and that that just kind of got my foot in the door. It showed that you know I was almost a trustworthy person that they they believe could could come in and and do more of a, a full-time role which was great that they offered me off the back of that um so yeah yeah it was it was production for really the first probably um first five or so years uh that, that I, I got into the industry and, and it, it did actually continue only really until the last um the last probably well three years when I moved to BT because before that I was still freelance so I was I was freelancing out myself as as an assistant producer that could could go in and and uh, edit highlights make programs cut interviews all that sort of thing so it has in that sense actually been a really helpful tool to have to understand the way that the whole industry works um but also yeah just just putting things together you you become more of a, a sort of rounded uh, employee I guess if you can if you can do a few more different things and um, this just over lockdown um, when there was no football obviously particularly for commentators that's that's a long way from ideal because there's no action um, so I've been I've been going out and doing a little bit of um, filmmaking myself uh, which obviously uses that production like as a as a producer as a cameraman um and kind of starring in them as well not starring but presenting them as well um which which has been really good fun and then editing them so all all those still skills i i sort of took forward from those early days uh and uh, to to be able to to, it's it's how many strings to your bow can you can you add so it's always handy you mentioned before, obviously, you, you started at uni. Was your aim always to be a commentator or presenter, or was it more the production side, or was you not really thinking about it at that stage? You know. Yeah, and I was I was chatting to somebody today about that. that actually, um, I I wish I'd actually thought, you know, when I was growing up, that a commentator was an attainable job, and I, I never really did, even until I was in the industry, and and that still took a few years before I thought, oh, do you know what? Maybe I, I could give that a go. It's always something that I appreciated without really thinking that it was a, a job that you could just go and go and do. So being in within that industry and in the right place and around other people that, that did it as well, then I think that that really helps to show that that, that it it's something that you just need to 
create those opportunities for yourself. I was always, once I moved to Satanta, especially uh, when more opportunities were available, I always just had that policy of say yes to all those opportunities. Whenever, whenever one arrives, just, just go for it. Uh, be it working on touring cars or golf, you know, maybe other sports that I, I didn't really have any knowledge of, like just, just kind of take that opportunity, throw yourself in. It, it's harder than say working on football or rugby, you know, maybe the, the things that you're, you're more accustomed and natural to knowing, but those, those can be the best test of, of whether you're actually up to it or not. Yeah, for sure. Like I say, I think it's pretty good advice is like I say, you better give it a go and failing than not trying it at all. You might as well give it a, give it a shot and see, you, know, you might land in something you like. Um, I want to talk to him mainly about the commentary stuff now up in Scotland, if you don't mind, Rory. Um, the first question I was thinking of as soon as I heard that, obviously, we agreed that you were going to come on. I was thinking about how the games in Scotland, and I was thinking especially the, the derby game between Rangers and Celtic, and I was thinking that must be a pressurised environment for someone to do their role in just because... You know, both sides, they are so different, both fan bases, that, you know, getting accused of being right down the middle. Is that something that you found? That, that obviously, you might say something, all of a sudden, the Celtic fans think you're having a go with them, but you're not. I mean, I'll be honest, I, in my work, I, come, I deal with Celtic fans quite regularly, and I've used certain words in the past, for example, they didn't like, the, they didn't like when I said old firm, for example, and I got a bit of stick for that, whereas Rangers fans aren't bothered. Is, is that something that you come across more often than not? And, and do you ever get that kind of thing where, you know, well, Rory's obviously a Rangers fan, or Rory's obviously supporting Celtic today. Do you still get that? I, I mean, I think that's the nature of of being a commentator that you just you have to accept that that's what you're you're going to get, and but also the nature of certain certain viewers, and, and I'll include you know you you can include yourself and your mates in it that sometimes sometimes people are desperate to uh, to label a commentator as, as something. And once you get it in your head, you can't get it out. And then you even forget the things. So if, if they're saying, you know, you support Team X, even when you say nice te- nice things about Team X, they, they kind of forget about that and only remember the thing where you're maybe a bit critical of them. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's interesting. I, to be honest, I don't I don't get too much. Uh, obviously, the, the, sort of more, the more your profile goes up, the bigger games you do, you're, you're going to get more attention, more people critiquing your performance. Um, Because I I, I did the uh, Celtic Rangers uh, League Cup final, Betfred Cup final last year. So that's that's about as high pressurised as you're going to get. The two biggest teams meeting in a cup final is is pretty big. It's great though. Like, I just... You've got to. I always think as a broadcaster, your job is to sell the experience, um, tell those at home what they can't feel. You know what what the atmosphere is doing, and uh, and even if you know, even if it's your team that's playing, it's not your job to get across your emotions. It's it's to you've got to understand that those that are viewing the game are seeing it from from their side of things so sometimes even if you if you get a boring game that's nil nil and and you're almost you can lose attention during that but you need to think wait there's you know there's thousands of people at home 
that are desperate to know what the outcome of this game is, even if it's nil-nil at 93 minutes, there's not been a shot on target, they're thinking, oh, maybe there's going to be one. And so, so you've got to tune into to their excitement, not just, well, this doesn't mean anything to me, so I'm, I'm not interested. The big games, the cup finals, they're easier to do because there's so much riding on them, you're going to get an outcome. You prep for it for ages. You make sure that you're in as, the, as much of the zone as you can be. Those games are easy to do. The, the, the football and the atmosphere, they drive your performance and they sort of take you to another level. It's, it's the games that, um, you know, are maybe a, a, a much smaller ground in rubbish weather and two poor teams that are, you know, mid-table or lower end of the table, maybe not so much to play for in the season. That's when I think is, is probably the biggest test of, of your ability is to, to sell that as an interesting broadcast. Yeah, fun. I've got a few notes here prepared. I was going to ask you. You've touched upon a few of those points. So that was the first one. I was going to, I might as well talk about it now. Was obviously up in Scotland, and you mentioned sort of the sides of ground, size of grounds, and weather as well. I mean, do you get jealous when you see like the guys doing Anfield, where they're nice in a nice box, sixty up sixty thousand people, nice and warm, and you might be stuck in Motherwell, freezing cold? Do you ever get cast an envious glance over that way? I mean, yes and no. I think there's. <laughs> Uh, obviously, that that is that is nice. And as you pick out Anfield, and I've been I've been to Liverpool, and it, it's incredible. Um, and we we've, we've got atmospheres to match and yeah. and possibly exceed that here. Um, but at the same time, I think what you can get sometimes with Scottish football that has. Uh, maybe been lost at the top end of English football a little bit. Some of those grounds that have got real character, yeah. that have been there for for years, and sometimes saying that something's got character is maybe maybe papering over over a few of the cracks and, and talking <laughs> Liter- up the literal crack, literal crack. But, but there's there's some that that I love going to. Like I always think um, Air United is uh, Somerset Park is a great old ground. It's you know the old terracing and things like that. Uh, Tannadice, uh, Dundee United, you get an incredible atmosphere just because it, 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 it's a bit more encased. Yeah. And, and, and a big a Dundee derby at Tannadice uh, last year, that, that's one of my favourite games uh, doing. We had a nighttime game there on BT Sport. It was, a, it was a game, I think there were seven goals, it was 5 2 or something like that. Uh, it, it was just it was a cracking game. The rain was chucking it down. Um, I don't like the, the grounds so much that I, I call them catalogue grounds. Like they look like yeah, yeah. they've come straight out of an IKEA catalogue that you just, right, yeah, well, we'll take the one from page 16. Those grounds, they don't tend to have atmosphere or character in them. Uh, I, I quite like some of the older ones. The, the very first game that I did for, for Sky was at, um, at Gayfield, which is our bros, uh home ground. And the the side where you do the commentary, I mean, it's a real proper old ground that, that you know there's not been much done to it for decades. And uh, the, the behind you from the commentary gantry is the North Sea. There's like the wall, and if the ball goes over, it's in the North Sea. <laughs> and and the game that I did, it was myself and Andy Walker, and they they played Rangers in the Scottish Cup, uh, and we arrived. They'd had to build a temporary gantry 
on top of the stand, um, but they they couldn't they couldn't add a roof to it because <laughs> a roof would have become a sail essentially and could have ripped the entire stand roof off along with us. So I was like, well, you know, what happens if it if it's raining? They're like, if it rains, it rains. It was blowing a gale as it naturally does in our on the on the east coast. So it, it's it's properly blowing. We had to get harnessed into the gantry, this temporary scaffolding that they said harnessed in. And then of course like two minutes before kickoff, I'm I'm all not not nervous because I've done lots of games, but I'm excited. I've done loads of prep. I've got all my notes. I've got I always do little cards, uh, which I've not actually got here. I can't show you, but I do little cards on every player, stick them down out in formation. Two minutes before kickoff, just like I'm getting into my flow, starts chucking it down. All the inks just all over the place. Can't see anything, and you're just like, well, you know, this is what I talk about is testing yourself. You're not going to get much more of a test than that to be a, a, a little ground. You know, maybe you're you're struggling to sell the game as as the interest, but but those ones are those ones are fun. Uh, you know, it's not often you get to go to a place like our broth and and commentate on a game. So I, I love all that kind of stuff. Well, I can imagine. Say, so I went to Ibrox last year, funny enough, and uh, obviously I'm, I, I often live down in England, and you hear some disparaging things about Scottish football. And I went to watch Rangers versus Kilmarnock, and it was one all. And the thing that impressed me most, actually, was the Kilmarnock support. Um, right in the corner of Ibrox. Ibrox is fantastic. I love it. But right in the corner of Ibrox, there was like a couple of hundred Kilmarnock fans. And just the, like you mentioned, the noise and the atmosphere around that game. And I went up there just thinking, basically, go and see what we can see. Just the out kind of thing. And I was like, like you mentioned, just the, the sheer passion. And is that something that you, when you're doing your role, that you're keen to try and present? Because obviously, BT and Sky are shown down in England as well and across the world. Are you, is that part of your role, do you think, to try and like say showcase how good Scottish football could be? Because I will be honest, I was quite taken aback by it. Um, not only the standard of play, but more so the, the, the atmosphere surrounding it. Is that something that you're conscious of when you're doing your role? Yeah, and, and, and to be honest, I've been conscious of it um, growing up, being so interested in Scottish football. I think it, it, it probably does get... Um, does get sold a bad deal when it comes to how it's perceived. Um, and, and, and a lot of that comes down to, you know, standard and how the teams are doing. And a lot of people think, yeah, it's a two horse race. And, and, you know, at the moment it is because you've got team, you've got, well, Celtic have got a budget way bigger than everyone else. Rangers are a bit behind them and then everyone else, it, it, it's miles behind. So in terms of a competition, it, it becomes really difficult because as you know, Money, money, money brings success in football these days. Um, I think that's every league. The, that's every league. Though, if you think yeah, for yeah. it, like Germany, Italy, very much in this, France is in the same boat. Obviously, England was for a while as well. So I do think sometimes, like you mentioned, Scotland gets a bit of a bad rap. Well, one team keeps winning everything. Well, if you look at Germany and if you look at France yeah. and if you look at Italy, it's, it's, a lot it's kind of the same. We're sort of losing. I, I do worry that we're losing that that competitive nature of, of yeah. football. That there, it seems to be that the those in power want the super teams to to be there all the time because that's what sells, rather than 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 generating stories. You know that two years ago Ajax 
being in a Champions League semi-final and you know, really should have been in a final. That that was the big story, and it was like, oh, it's wonderful see see one of the smaller teams, and you're going, it's Ajax. Ajax are <laughs> the absolute giants of yeah. of world football. Um, but you know, getting back to to what you were saying before, there is a there is a uniqueness about the about Scottish football fan culture. Um, and I think in, in week one of the season, um, Sky's, Sky have been using um, Darren Fletcher a lot as as a new pundit. Um, and, and he's a guy that's played his, his entire career in England. So I don't, I don't think he's had a, a, a club up here other than when he was a kid. Um, and and he, he sort of said, look, you know, Scottish football's perceived probably in a, in a poorer light amongst football fans down in England. But the just the way that it is supported, it it means more up here. It means more to more people, which and a lot of people don't don't realise until until as as you maybe were the same until you went to a game and and it, it is it is really big. They they keep going on that it's the uh, it's the highest um, it's the best supported league in Europe by head of population is Scotland. So people really turn out, even if you're seeing grounds that, that aren't full or you see, you know, the away end doesn't, doesn't, is half full or whatever. The, given the population, it, it's, it's vastly supported. And when they go along to support, they're, they're right into it. <laughs> there aren't yeah. people just, just sitting there for, for an experience. They're like, they're right into it. No, oh, yeah, I, I remember Stephen Gerrard getting getting a bit of it from there from the Kilmarnock fans. Are very much they made themselves known. I, I can guarantee you that. Um, just on your role now, Rory, as well. Obviously, not as well as doing football commentary, you do rugby commentary as well, and quite often it, that could intertwine with each other. So you might be doing a, a football game midweek and a rugby game at the weekend. In terms of obviously your preparation and how you go about doing those jobs, is it pretty similar, or are there any? particularly differences about like you mentioned before you have your cards and your your notes is that the same across both or are there any differences because like I say there might be people listening to this who who just want to be a commentator and like you said just say yes to everything they, they might end up in a similar boat it does it differ slightly or are you quite happy to do crack on as normal uh they, they differ slightly in the way that I set things up but in the main the amount of time that I spend on it, uh, very similar, and, and the way that I go through each individual player. So I probably do that first. I go through individual players, map that out. If there's any milestone, just any any real stats, you probably use 10% of that, if that. Yeah. And there, there might be, you're like, oh, that could be a really good stat if this happens. That very rarely happens. <laughs> you know, you, you, you sometimes prepare for a gem that, has got a 0.01% chance of happening. But if it happens, you've got a really, really good line on something. Um, so so last week, last week I had a really, really busy week. I had five live games in five days. Um, cool. That was a, let's see, try and remember them all now. Uh, so it was uh, uh, the Wednesday was Celtic uh, against Ferenc Farosh. Yeah. Uh, in the Champions League qualifier. Then the Thursday was Aberdeen against NSI Runovic in the Europa League qualifier. Friday was Glasgow against Edinburgh in the last Pro 14 league game of the season. 
And then Saturday and Sunday, I had two two league games, Hamilton against Ross County and then uh, Celtic against Motherwell. Um, so so the, in, on weeks like that, which are quite rare, um, you, I probably can't do quite as intense uh, prep as I would like. I like to spend probably the all of the day before uh, and then and then most of the the day leading up to say an evening kickoff then I'll I'll just be going through and prepping things um the one the one nice thing that I that you get from rugby that you don't get from football is that you get the team uh what 24 hours in advance maybe a bit before 30 hours in advance of kickoff so that's really handy that that's why for football I I do the players separately Whereas for rugby, um, there's a set formation. There's eight forwards and there's seven backs. They ha- they all play in that position. So I draw out their positions and then I can I can write on on one piece of paper yeah. uh, whatever stats, ages, appearances, milestones, any, anything like that in their position. Whereas in football, they might be playing a four four two. They might be playing three five two, four three three. You know whatever formation they're doing. So I like to have each individual player separate so I can move them about within a little tactics board that I will then create for, and obviously you don't know who's playing, so you need to do the entire squad. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll be honest, that's the first I've heard. That, that's quite a, a unique thing I think you do that in that, you are, like you say, you, you are moving. So if, if a player is at right back and he gets shifted to right wing, you can just literally shift the card up. Is that kind of yeah. how you do it? That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and if they get subbed off, you just peel it off and put the next guy on. A very, very interesting. That's a really clever way to do it. I think I, I, I wish I'd have done that when I've had commentary duty in the past. Um, before I want to touch, I'll go back to commentary in a minute, Rory. But um, you have done a bit of reporting work, or obviously you were on Sky Sports News, so it might be like a transfer deadline day or uh, whatever. So you might be still outside Ibrox or Celtic Park or wherever you are. Um, in that situation, do you find yourself more in the Obviously, you're reacting to what's happening in terms of they might, the studio are coming to you because something's happened. Are you, obviously, when you're not on camera in those times of situations, are you literally just scrolling through just to check any news, making phone calls, or is someone doing that for you? How does that work? Because I've always wondered, how can you possibly be doing journalism work at the same time as getting yourself ready on a camera and doing all that kind of stuff as well? Is, is it quite is it as difficult as I imagine it is? Yeah, I mean, you need you need two phones on days like yeah. that just just because the battery's going to die. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a, there, there is a lot of scrolling on Twitter and refreshing and yeah. and trying to because somebody's going to get the line first. It might be you because you might you might get a phone call from somebody at the club that that wants to punt out and they know that if you're on Sky Sports News, that's where a lot of people will see it first. So they, so they might get in touch with you. Um, you might go digging. You might have an agent's number that they, they, they'll, you'll say to them, look, just let me know when the deal's done and then we can, we can get it out there. But um, it, it doesn't always work that way. A lot of the time you're like, well, oh, the boy at BBC or STV has, has got it first. But great, you know, I'll double check that with a club because you don't want to release it without confirmation from various other sources um so yeah and then then you can eventually go with it but yeah i i enjoy that but not not as much as i'm i'm all about i'm all about the game and the football and the atmosphere 
the other bits that surround it in in the week leading up to the game and press conferences and things like that. I I, I don't enjoy that side of it as much. I mean, it's still it's still good to be involved in it um, because you're you know you're being paid to cover what you love. Um, but I'm I'm definitely more about the game, and that, and that's why I think I I I steered myself towards the commentary side of things rather than the reporting side. Yeah, for sure. Let, let's flip back to commentary because actually that's kind of what I wanted to speak to mainly about. Um, you mentioned there actually about the showcasing of Scotland, Scottish football and that kind of stuff. And for a while down in England, I'll be honest, the only games we would really get to see would be Celtic or Rangers, usually against each other. And then you might get them against maybe a Hearts or a Hibs or whatever. But BT and lately, lately Sky as well have started showing pretty much every game. So we get one a weekend. So like you mentioned, you mentioned about Hamilton versus uh, Motherwell or whoever it is. Do you, do you find that when, when you're in those games that you might have to do a little bit more in terms of guiding an audience because they may not be as familiar with not only the club, but with, sorry, not only the players, but the club as a whole. So I, I'll be honest, I, I know quite a lot about Celtic, but I maybe don't know a lot about St. Johnson or something. And when you're doing your, your work, is that something you're conscious of that you might have a, a, an audience who aren't as familiar with not even, again, the manager or the players or anything about it because I, I couldn't name five Scottish managers, I'll be honest, and that's my ignorance. But is that something that you know that, well, I've got an English audience watching this as well, I might have to do a little bit more of, you know, the explaining where, as I know, obviously everyone knows who Steven Gerrard and Neil Lennon are. Um, uh, to an extent, because they always say, you know, no, play to your audience. Um, but at the same time, I for a game like that, I I would I would treat them equally. Whether I know more about Neil Lennon and Stephen Gerrard than I do about Callum Davidson is is fairly irrelevant because I can imagine St Johnson fans then watching it might be like, well, come on, you, you know, you're kind of treating us differently here, and yeah. and and the old firm Celtic and Rangers, you know, <laughs> the Glasgow Big Two, like whatever you want to call, them, they get so much more attention than. Than everyone else, anyway. So I would always, you know, if you if you get if you if you're getting a shot of Steven Gerrard, you'll then get a shot of the opposition manager as well. I I wouldn't, um, you know, I, I I wouldn't go into any more detail on on one than the other. I think I think they deserve to sort of get the same same treatment. They're in the same league. They're on the same yeah. same field. So. Yeah, not necessarily. I think for for something that if it was maybe a European game, so so last week I did Celtic Ferenc Farosh. Um, obviously, I can't, I can't even say that. Never mind. Spend a lot of time on Hungarian YouTube, like <laughs> getting the right pronunciation. But um, so so I would probably you can go into a little bit more detail to explain mm. maybe like. Clubs that players have played for. The manager was Sergei Rebrov, so you know, obviously, you can go into a little bit more of the detail of you know. I was talking about him at Dynamo Kiev with playing up front with um, Andrei Shevchenko, and then his time at Spurs and West Ham. Whereas you probably wouldn't do that with uh, well on the on the other side of the dugout, you've got Neil Lennon. You wouldn't go oh, and the former Leicester City player, like you know, you assume yeah. that everyone knows that. Whereas Sergei Rebrov, people haven't seen him for years, so they so they were like, "Oh yeah, that guy," you know. No, yeah, absolutely. Like you say, that that's a, 
or something I've been conscious of is that I'm a big, for example, American football fan. And if I'm watching a game on maybe BBC or whatever, and sometimes you can feel like it's been dumbed down too much where you're actually forgetting your target audience. So I suppose you're right in that. The, mo- the, mo- the majority of people watching St. John's v Hamilton, they're going to be St. John's or Hamilton fans. And you've got to, you can't really worry about everyone else. Because like you say, you're going to end up, not, not so much insulting people, but like you say, you're going to, people are going to be thinking you're watching something that's not catered for them, which you've got to be very, very wary of. Um, yeah, yeah. Sorry, you go. You go. Uh, well, I mean, I guess it's uh, yeah, you, you you show the same amount of respect to to every team, be it their twelfth in League Two or or, or top of the Premiership. I, I think I think you, you give them the same same attention. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, spot on. I'm going to let you go shortly, Rory. But I want to get your. You mentioned obviously we're in lockdown and we well, we've been in lockdown. We're coming out of it now. And, how have you found being commentating in grounds where there's no stadium, no sorry, no stadium atmosphere, so no fans? Because I spoke to John Gwynn, the Darts football commentator, a few on a few episodes ago, and he said there will be times where he could just say nothing because the crowd and the atmosphere around the game kind of told the story for him. Whereas now, obviously, although there are some people watching with fake crowd noise and piped in noise, some aren't. Um, it has your methods, has your approach had to differ at all? And also, you mentioned before about you know, cup final, the atmosphere can kind of drag you along with it. You haven't got that; you've got to kind of generate it yourself. Has it been more difficult? Has it been a challenge? Yeah, it, I, I would definitely say so. Um, it's it's been quite interesting because you're right. All all those things, and I, I agree with the with what you're saying about the other the darts commentator. That um, I I wouldn't say I'm an overly chatty commentator I quite like to take a breath if I don't have anything that can maybe add to what the viewer is seeing then I try to try to be quiet but uh, some people are probably saying at home going I wish that guy would shut up (laughs) (laughs) even still um so I so I think I'm probably on the, the the slightly less chatty side of the scale anyway um so you you can get away with that when there's a big atmosphere. I think when it when there's none, you you can't quite so much, and you maybe need to be saying players' names or or thinking up more discussions with your co-commentator because there are plenty times during a ninety minutes of a game that you can tell that it's not going anywhere. Both sides are sitting off, having a little bit more of a breather. Um, I remember because I'd, I'd wanted to do, I'd wanted to go down to St James's Park for you know for years now. I've got mates that are Newcastle United fans, and I ended up doing um, Newcastle Leicester on New Year's Day for BT. So that was my first Premier League game, and I mean Leicester City, they they passed Newcastle off the pitch in the in the first half, got a goal before half time. Uh, Newcastle like really had had nothing, so there was nothing to lift the crowd. I think I think they made three substitutions at half time, and then another guy got injured in the first minute of the second half. So they were down to ten. They lost three nil, and I was like, oh, I, I feel like I've been to St James's Park, but I've not. I've not got the St James's Park experience of an atmosphere. And then I've done two since uh, Newcastle Aston Villa and Newcastle Spurs post lockdown when there's nobody there, and I'm like. I've, st- I've been there three times in the last eight months and I've still not experienced an atmosphere at St. James's Park. So it, it is really diff- different. Um, it's, it's harder, I think, to enjoy a game. 
it almost at the beginning it felt like every game's a training session. You can hear the shouts, you can hear the whistle, uh, you can hear the manager's instructions, which actually is a really interesting addition. I think that you can you can hear all that. Uh, you can understand the mentality of the coaching that's coming on from the sidelines because otherwise you, you can't hear that at all. So I, I quite like that addition. Um, but yeah, it, it just shows, uh, you see the value and particularly from a TV point of view, the value that supporters bring is is vast. It It gives the perception of entertainment. I think even if you get a good game that there's no fans, it's not as entertaining as a good game when there's fans because you can feel people's passion and enjoyment when they're at the game. Uh, whereas obviously, otherwise you're just watching, oh, right, oh, that was, that was quite decent, eight goals. But it's not the same. You don't get into it as much. You're not drawn no. into people's emotions. And also, like I say, what you perceive as good might not be what everyone else perceives as good. So when you've got a crowd around you, you get the general vibe of, you know, their, their team are playing well, obviously, because they're up for it where... Again, you, you might be watching Liverpool, for example, and I think they're playing rubbish. And in the ground, it looks like they're playing better, and it, it, it can be quite difficult. I can, I can imagine that for sure. Um, last question, everyone, before I let you go. You might, you've, you've dropped a few tips along the way. So you've, you mentioned about you know getting your foot in the door and saying yes to as much as you can, and you mentioned your prep. But there will be people listening to this who want to be in the media or in broadcasting. Is there any other little tips or advice or things that you've picked up along the way that you think... Actually, if I was, if I was, if I'd have been told that before, or, or it's worked out well for you, is there anything you can drop a bit of knowledge on us before we let you go? I mean, I mean, the, the probably the biggest thing I would say uh, that I did touch on before is um, throw yourself in, whether you're comfortable with it or you're not. Uh, say yes to to every opportunity that that you can, and I've done a few school talks about that as well, and and and. Actually, a few of the, the business owners had sort of said to me that they felt that some of the younger people were were becoming a little bit more entitled and and, and feeling that they were they were above certain roles. Do them, you know. If if you need to go in to make the coffee, it gets it gets you in to to a place that might send you to a higher level. Um, if it's that you want to do football but you're offered curling. Go and do it. Like you'll, you will learn the industry in the same way. Uh, it's, it's so worth doing. And, and probably the best bit of advice uh, that I've had over my career that, that I always then um, send on to other people. Uh, I, was, I was lucky enough to um, be given Martin Tyler's number and, uh, when I started doing games with Sky. And I used, used to have, you know, good long chats with Martin. Uh, he was always really good to me, very accommodating. And he, his, his main piece of advice to me as a, as a commentator was, ironically, don't take on too much advice. Uh, be, your own, be your own man at being a commentator because if you, if you have a commentator that you look up to and you think, oh, yeah, that's... That's that's what I want to be like. I want to emulate that style or what he's done. I'm going to try and do that. Don't because you'll fail. You won't be as good at them. <laughs> you won't be as good at it as them because they're being them. You need to be you. And if your style that evolves over time, it will end up fitting the broadcasters. And and that's what people will will end up in hopefully enjoying 
tuning into. Absolutely, I think that's it's great advice. Well, I'm going to let you go because I've taken enough of your time. So thank you very much. Um, hopefully, the people have learned a little bit as well. And um, like I say, your passion for Scottish sport has come across, and hopefully, people start taking a bit of that as well. Um, so thanks everyone for listening at home. That has been the Sporting Voices podcast, and we'll be back next time with another guest from the world of sports media. Until then, goodbye.